How was your week? Did, were you in Ezra this week? Did you, did you read it? Did you go, wow, it's good stuff. It's a, a, a book that doesn't get read that often. And, but hopefully today as we examine Ezra, and we're going to be in Ezra 7 today, um, the implications of what Ezra and what he did during the time of the return has implications in the New Testament. I mean, it's all over in the New Testament. And I, I will touch on some of those today. But um, let's start by reading the first 24 verses of chapter 7. Okay? So, um, but before we begin that, last week, Jeremy uh, preached on chapters 1 through 6. And listen, I kind of pride myself as being the pastor of history, historical, but Jeremy rocked it last week. He was, I think, put me to shame. He's, he was bringing up all these passages from Isaiah and Jeremiah, and he was talking about the relevance of, listen, if you haven't heard it, go to heightschristian.org, go to the podcast, and listen to that sermon again. That was amazing. And another amazing part of it is chapters 1 through 6, there is no mention of Ezra. Ezra doesn't even come on the scene in the book of Ezra until chapter 7, which is crazy. But he makes up for it because he shows up in Nehemiah, I guess. So Anyway, um, but let me tell you something about it. So you have chapters 1 through 6, we read it in a week, and then we did chapter 7 and we finished the book this week. That's important to know because between chapters 6 of Ezra and chapters 7 of Ezra, a lot of time transpires, around 60 years. In fact, if you go by what Ezra says, the book of Esther falls between chapter 6 of Ezra and chapter 7 of Ezra. I mean, the whole book of Esther falls in between. If you do it chronological, hopefully if you have a chronological Bible and you go through, you stop in chapter 6, and then all of a sudden you get to, you do Esther. What? Yeah. This is really amazing stuff. So let's, let's dive into these first 24 verses. You know how I like to do a whole chapter, but I thought, ah, we, I won't kill you with that. Plus there's a lot of names I don't want to read anymore. So anyway, here we go. Now after these things... In the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Zariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Mariath, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son of Abishua, the son of Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. And yes, I did practice that. This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given the king, granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. By the way, I am reading from the New King James Version, so if you're reading from your book, you're like, what? I just thought sometimes it's interesting to get a different 
version and read it through. Besides, there's some parts we'll get to that are read differently in the NIV than the New King James, and I chose the New King James. Verse 7. Some of the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the Nethanim came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. On the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, according to the good hand of his God upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the Lord of the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statues and ordinances in Israel. Now this is the copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave Ezra the priest, the scribe, expert in the words of the commandments of the Lord and of his statutes to Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, a scribe of the law of the God of heaven, perfect peace and so forth, I issue a decree that all those of the people of Israel and the priests and Levites in my realm who volunteer to go up to Jerusalem may go with you. And whereas you are being sent by the king and his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. And whereas you are to carry the silver and gold which the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, And whereas all the silver and gold that you may find in all the province of Babylon, along with the freewill offering of the people and the priests, are to be freely offered for the house of their God in Jerusalem. Now therefore, be careful to buy with this money bulls, ram, and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and to offer them on the altar of the house of your God in Jerusalem." And whatever seems good to you and your brethren to do with the rest of the silver and of the gold, do it according to the will of your God. Alas, the articles that are given to you for the service of the house of your God deliver in full before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever more may be needed for the house of your God, which you may have occasion to provide, pay for it from the king's treasury. And I, even I, Artaxerxes, the king, do issue a decree to all the treasurers who are in the region beyond the river, that whatever Ezra the the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, may require of you, let it be done diligently. Up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil, and salt without prescribed limit. Whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it be diligently be done for the house of the God of heaven. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? Also, we inform you that it shall not be lawful to impose tax, tribute, or custom on any of the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, Nethanim, or servants of this house of God. Some people think, that being tax-free as a religious leader is a, is a U.S. thing. No, find it here. We have, we have be tax-free. Just thought I'd point that out. All right, so let's, let's look at a map. 
What do you say? Do we have one? I have a pointer. Oh, yay. Okay. A couple things I want to point out from what we've just read. Okay. If you don't know or need some reminding, there were three big moves from the conquered the Jews that were conquered and taken in tap, captivity into Babylon. There were three large groups that returned to Jerusalem. Okay? The first one is Zerubbabel, and the first six chapters talk about that in Ezra. Zerubbabel and his group make the move from Babylon right there, and they go to Jerusalem. Now, as the crow flies from Babylon to Jerusalem, it's about 500 miles. But they couldn't go that way. There's no water. And so they had to make, they had to make the, 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 the drive up, the drive, <laughs> um, the, the walk and the ride, I guess, of camels or whatever. They rode up, the Euphrates went up the river, and then they came down this way. So it's, all, it's about 900 miles. So when you see Ezra, it takes him four months to travel that far, okay? And in big groups. So the first group was Zerubbabel, and they went like this. And then this is the second one that we talk about, that you've reading about, Ezra going to Jerusalem, is the second big group of people that returned to Jerusalem. And then when we get to Nehemiah, there's that third group that come in mass. Now, those weren't the only people that came to, back to Israel, back to Palestine. But these are the big, big groups. Other ones just sort of filtered in. They had the freedom to come because the Medes and the Persians said they could go. And so they did. But we know that three major groups went. And they think, now, when we talk about Esther, they are in the capital city of Susa. But it says that Ezra left from Babylon. So you see there's quite a bit of difference here. What's the deal with that? Because doesn't Ezra have a relationship with Artaxerxes? Huh, interesting. So why, why Babylon? Well, it's very important that you know this. The reason why he comes from Babylon is he, he gathers all of the people and he prays with them before they go on their trip. He gathers them all together. And why is it Babylon instead of Susa? Did you read in this when the king gives his um, edict to Ezra, I mean, Ezra has an official letter from the king of Persia. So anybody stops him, hey, where are you going? Why are you going? Why are you doing this? He has the official Artaxerxes signia that says he can go. And he talks about there's going to be gold and silver that the king gives freely to Ezra. And there's gold and silver from Babylon. There's two different golds and silvers. And that's interesting. And we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. But there's two separate golds and silvers. The first gold and silver is from the king. He gives a free will offering to what he calls the God of heaven. Because he wants, he wants to be in, getting good with this God. He knows that this is, you can do a free will offering. There are many Jews that are still in this area who wish to stay, but they send money too. 
as a goodwill offering, as a free Thanksgiving offering. Okay? So, I just told you that um, between Ezra 6 and 7, there's about 60 years that transpire. Ezra, I mean Esther, is between Ezra 6 and Ezra 7. So, Esther was the queen of Xerxes, or Asherah, whatever your, whoever, whatever your, your Bible says. It's the same guy. And Artaxerxes is the son of Xerxes. Okay? So, is this a relation of Esther? We believe that he was a stepson. But he, he has favorable disposition to the Jews to be able to release them to go. And he has a relationship with Ezra, and he knows a lot of things about Ezra, and he's excited about sending Ezra because he wants the people of Israel to learn from Ezra. And those names that I read to you, this is the lineage of Ezra from Aaron, from the high priest. It goes all the way back to Aaron. So he is in the line of high priest. Now, he, doesn't, he isn't the high priest. His older brother is, who goes with Zerubbabel, who's earlier. But he has the intention of, of being the, in the lineage, a, a Levite from Aaron, and he knows the law. In fact, it says about Ezra that he is a scribe. Now, when you hear scribe, you sort of think of, well, this guy's a glorified secretary. And that may be true. Okay? He, he absolutely was an administrator. He absolutely knew how to write, and many people could not. And so he had the gift of being able to read and to write. And during the time that he was in captivity, now listen, the the Israelites that were taken away and they are in bondage for 70 years. So if Ezra was was alive during the, the deportation and then him returning, he's at least 70 years old. But chances are that he was probably born into captivity. But during the time that they were in the land of Babylon and in the Medio Persian empires, he continued to learn and to study and to gather up the law of the Lord. And he brings it with him in his hand back to Israel. It says that he was a skilled scribe. The actual, the word used for scribe, skilled scribe, describing his scribing, describing his scribing. You get me. Okay. Was that he was very rapid in this, meaning he had great understanding that he could could pull stuff up from the law he already had in his head. He was able to do it really, really well. And this lineage here that you, you read about, it's, it's very interesting. You know, um, Zadok is one of those that he's in the lineage of. During 
David and Solomon's reign as kings. Abiathar gets replaced by Zadok, who are both within the line of the high priest. But Zadok is the one who continues with the lineage of high priest because Abiathar is replaced. Solomon replaced him because Abiathar supports Adonijah and his reign rather than Solomon. And Zadok is very important because Zadok was the one who really paid attention to the law. In fact, in the New Testament, you will see a group of people called the Sadducees. The Sadducees were named after Zadok. And this whole realm of good scribes, the scribes, not only are they secretaries, but they copy the law. They study the law. They become lawyers in the law of God. And because, because they're, they're copying it so often, they learn it, they know it, and so they're able to answer questions and, and offer um, legal responses to breakings of the law or questions on the law. Listen, one of the things that you'll notice after the Jews return to Israel, in specifically Judea and the Jerusalem area, we have very few prophets. I mean, there's just three that we, that we still have in our Bible. Okay? It's Zechariah, Haggai, and Malachi. After that, during the intestinal period, we don't have much prophecies listed. Why? Because God wasn't interested in new revelation. He was directing them back to the old, the stuff that he has already said. So the prophets didn't have the power anymore to say, thus saith the Lord. The scribes were the one who developed the power to say, well, this is what God said in his word, in his scripture, in the law. They become the ones that start speaking the will of God, speaking the law. And the founder of all that is Ezra the scribe. He's the one who starts the school of scribes, and by the time Jesus comes onto the scene, there's there's all kinds of scribes. And the sad part is, you have the Sadducees and the Pharisees, two different sects that become the the leaders of Israel, the Sanhedrin, and they miss the scriptures completely, and they miss Jesus. Ezra, if he had been there, would have said, shame on you. Because he was so diligent in looking at the scriptures and seeing the will of God. Also, interesting fact. The letter that I read to you from Artaxerxes, we know that's a very specific date in which he did it. It's 458. If we look at the 70 weeks of Daniel that he gives in it every week is a year, right? The weeks of Daniel? Is it 60 weeks? 70 weeks. I'm getting my numbers confused. But anyway, Daniel's prophecy from the time that Artaxerxes issues this decree for the Jews to return to do the temple with Ezra to the time of Jesus starts his ministry equals the weeks of Daniel. 
Wow, that's pretty cool, don't you think? All right, well, let's look at some of the things about what Ezra says. Ezra is skilled. He um, talks to, probably, he may have even written the letter for Artaxerxes that he was carrying with him to do this. And so Ezra is one of those who is insistent on doing it right way. He goes to Babylon. He collects more gold and silver. And it's probably the gold and silver that was originally taken from Israel and was still there. Because the, the king issues whatever gold you can find in Babylon... Well, the king has already given him silver and gold to take with him for his free will offering. This other gold, is, the king says, whatever you can find. It's like, whatever you can find that was still around, that was yours originally, you can take. What? I mean, talk about a blessing. They're not going to Jerusalem empty-handed. And they... Ezra gets them to pray beforehand, before that they go. They all decide to go. They go together, and when they get there, the first thing they do is they go to the temple after three days of rest, and they sacrifice, and they bring gold and silver into the temple. Wow. I mean, that's amazing. We'll see Ezra and other things before, but he is interested in bringing about a renewal or a retelling of the law and the story to the people to get it right, to get that second chance, like I talked about a couple of weeks ago, a do-over. Oftentimes, if you look in some of the, the Jewish writings, Ezra is called the second Moses because he's the one that comes with the law. Many believe that he was the one that sort of compiled everything back up from, from the deportation. There was scripts from all over different papyruses of, of, of the law, of, of the writings of the prophets and the law, and he gathered it all together and brought it back. So he was able to teach the people. And so you have this very specific thing. He says this. Oh, by the way, we're talking about the silver and gold that was brought up. Haggai, the, the prophet, has something to say about that. In um, chapter 2 of Haggai, 6 and 8, he says this. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. So even though Haggai is out there preaching, doing prophecy, it's being fulfilled in Ezra as they're gathering the extra money that was in Babylon that was originally stolen from the Israelites and bringing it back. God says, that's mine! And its prophecy is fulfilled. Oh, that is just stinking Amazing. So let's go back to 
Ezra chapter 7, and let's read what it says, what Ezra was about. Okay? He says this. And I just lost it. Verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. This was the purpose that Ezra was coming back to Jerusalem. He had sought into his heart. He searched his heart. He prepared his heart to seek the Lord. Where does he seeking the Lord? In the scriptures. He searched the Lord in the scriptures. He learned from the Lord in the scriptures. He put them in his head and his heart. That's the, that's the whole connotation of seeking the Lord. If you learn nothing today about my sermon we need to be like Ezra here. That's why Jeremy and I are always telling you, get into the, the word of the Lord. Get into the Bible. Read it. Learn it. Know it. And when you think you've learned it enough, learn it again. Learn some more. I don't know about you. I mean, I've gone through the Bible many times in my life and read all the way through. And then I'll be reading something in a passage. I'll come across and I'll go, wait, has that always been in the Bible? How did I miss this? That happens to me all the time. It keeps giving. And Ezra has put in his heart that he wants to know the law of God so well that he can achieve it rapidly, that he becomes an expert scribe. He can write it. So that's the first part. And then it says to do it. First is to seek. Second is to do it. He wants to do the law. And obviously, even Artaxerxes have heard that he is an accomplished in obeying the law and doing the law. Listen, if, if we just become students of the Word of God and we know everything about it, but we don't do, in, we don't do it, man, we're worse than an unbeliever. I think that one of... There's a passage in Scripture that says, not be just mere hearers of the Lord, but doers of the Lord. And we need to do that. So, we need to read and apply, just like Ezra. We need to read and then do it. That sounds like an easy thing, but it's not. Some Scripture in there, you go, okay. I don't know how this works, but we're going to do it. And we're going to do it imperfectly. But we need to know the, the, the Bible. And we need to do it. And then, Ezra put in his heart, to teach it. Wow. What does teaching look like? Now, we'll see later on in, in Nehemiah. Ezra and the other Levites began to teach the people. 
And they're wailing and they're just like, what? I didn't know. We're, we're messed up. One thing I have learned as I have dived into the Bible and as I have tried to practice what it says and do it, I can't just do that. I, I end up being a teacher. Either by just by example, say, oh, I'm not a teacher. Do you have any children? Guess what? Do you have any neighbors? Do you have any family? Do you have any friends? You're going to teach by what you do. You are. And as you mature and as you grow in your faith, as you grow in the knowledge of the Word of God, God wants more of you. And He's going to ask you to step into the idea of helping someone else along. It's just natural. You have no idea what that looks like? I don't either. But sometimes, most of the times in life, as you grow in the Lord, as you mature in the Lord, God will ask more of you to help others who are not as mature as you. I like the word mentoring. It needs to be done. Now, there are some of us that we teach up here. We do this. We spend time. We, we <laughs> know... I know Jeremy, I know myself, I know other people that have been up here. We don't just like, hey, open the Bible. Okay, here we go, I'll teach on this today. No, we prepare, we dive, we read, we, we seek, we seek, we seek. And then we think, oh, wait, we need to change our life? Because listen, one thing I know about teaching, you can't teach somebody something that you don't have. You can't. Or you can try, but people just go, What? All right. I hope that you, like Ezra, I hope that you can follow in his footsteps by seeking, doing, and teaching. One of the things that's just interesting is it says, even Artaxerxes says, whatever you see fit to do, that is the will of God. How do you not know the will of God unless you read the scriptures? We don't have a lot of people with prophecies, thus saith the Lord, unless it agrees with the word of God. No, we, have some, we still have some prophecies, but we're still expected to know this. We have these, God has expectations of us that we should know the word of God. That's why we talk about it all the time. But let me tell you, the ultimate avenue or the reason why we read the Word of God or we do the Word of God or we teach the Word of God is because we want to have a relationship with the actual God. We do these things so that we have a relationship with Him. That we live our lives One, having a relationship with Him, and because of that relationship with Him, we have a better relationship with others around us. And God turns it on His head. He said, listen, if you 
can't love your neighbor whom you can see, how can you love the God that you can't see? It's a good indication of how you are doing with seeking, doing, and teaching is how your relationship with others as you pursue that relationship with God. His scripture points us to him because he's actually alive. He's actually God. And he's been around forever. And he will be around forever. So that's probably someone we should get to know. Sound good? All right, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. How do we do? Okay. And let's ask the Lord to help us to seek him. To do the words of the Bible. And to teach whatever that looks like. Father God, we come before you. We thank you and we praise you for your word, for your son Jesus, who's paid the debt so that we might have an eternal relationship with you, our creator. Father God, we ask specifically that you will allow us to seek you diligently through your word. That as we are exposed to your word, we will be changed and shaped and that we will actually act in accordance of your word. And Lord, as we do that and other people observe us, help us to teach your word and point people in your direction giving you glory giving you honor and acknowledging you as the God of the universe help each one of us as we pursue that in the name of Jesus I pray Amen